0: Well, good morning, great to have you here this morning. Take your Bibles with me if you would please and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and we have been in uh, this chapter as we have been working through this series of messages that we are calling body building where we are talking about um, not only the church being built up but building up our own selves as we get to know Jesus better and the difference that that makes in our lives. we are gonna be back at verse 13 here in just a moment. I got a haircut this week. And uh, I like I like getting my hair cut. I don't know. It's kind of that feeling of a fresh start. You know, you just kind of feel new and fresh. The other thing I realized, it's really cool about a haircut. First thing they do to you when you walk in is they put a cape on you like you're a superhero. Isn't that awesome? And they, it's backwards, but it's cool. And um, so I'm sitting there on Friday getting my hair cut. And i um, got this black cape. I'm like Batman. You know, I'm sitting there. And uh, all of a sudden I look down and there's silver stuff all over it. I'm like, huh, last guy that got his hair cut here is really old. <laughs> this is kind of what struck me. And then I realized that's, that's me. I got my hair cut a couple of years ago and the, the lady that cut it said, no, this isn't gray hair, this is smoke. Because <laughs> if you call it smoke, somehow then it's more masculine. I don't know, I don't know why that is. But I just, I realized something. It's just a sign, not that I'm getting older, but that I'm more mature. Amen? Amen. Yeah, you're not buying it, but that's okay. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 is where Paul talks to us about why the body of Christ needs to be built up. Let me back up a couple of verses. Look at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people of, uh, for works of service so that the body of Christ... Maybe build up. He's talking about the church here and the incredible uh, opportunity there is for the church to be built up. Now, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the different roles that we play in, in in our ministry and what God's called us to do, so that the saints could be equipped, so that the body of Christ can be built up. This is this is fundamental to what Paul's talking about here about the church. But he gives us the reason why. He says this is why this is so important, and we see it in verse thirteen. Look at verse thirteen. He says we build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. "...and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature... Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now look at that verse as we unpack this a little bit. Three things that Paul says are are reasons, their purposes, their goals for the body of Christ being built up. The first one is this, Ephesians 4.13. Until we all reach unity in the faith. And two weeks ago we talked about unity. We we talked about how unity, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your own life, especially in the church, how unity is kind of that secret recipe. It's the special sauce that makes a difference. As to whether something thrives or whether it's challenged. And so we talked about that. Go back to verse 13. Paul goes on to say that the purpose of building up the body of Christ is until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we talked about this last week about knowing Jesus. That knowing Jesus is more than just a religion, it's not just following rules, it's not just kind of checking off a box on your spiritual to do list. Knowing Jesus is about a relationship. And so with a relationship in mind, we talked about this. We said that if you're in a relationship, then you're going to go out of your way to get to know someone. So we talked about what are you doing to spend time with Jesus? We also said that in a relationship, you eliminate distractions so that you can communicate. So we talked about is there, is there sin, is there noise, is there busyness that you need to eliminate so you can know Jesus better? And then we we talked about being in his word and getting to know him in that way. We talked about having a conversation with God and that prayer is more than just an obligation that we have to pray or it's not just an exclamation where we cry out for help, but that prayer is a conversation that we have with Jesus. And it's this two way dialogue, not just us expressing our needs, but also hearing what the spirit of God would speak to us. And we put all this in the context of a relationship that we are in a relationship with him. And with that in mind, with this whole same picture of relationship, I want to talk today about the next thing that Paul says. He says that if the body of Christ is built up, it's. we'll go back to verse 13. He says, it's until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And here's the third thing. He says, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This idea of of spiritual maturity is at the very heart of why the church exists. It's at the very heart of what God wants to do in us. It's why we build each other up so we can come to this place of spiritual maturity. And in the context of relationship, which is what we're talking about, what you find is that maturity comes naturally when you have a meaningful relationship with someone. Let's just state it in this way. That maturity is the overflow of relationship. That as relationship happens, as it grows, as it, as it finds its, its relationship there, there's maturity that comes out in that. Think about it. When you first meet someone, whether it be in a friendship, a romantic sense, in a business sense, what happens at first is really typically pretty shallow, right? You don't know that much. You may have some excitement. There may be some emotion or energy. But at its heart, it's, it's really just a very shallow thing. But over time, as you get to know someone better... You begin to come to a place where that relationship matures. You become more like that person. You understand them more. You know what are the things that really matter to that person and vice versa. It's interesting. You know, Ron and I have been married for, for 21 years. And I can know what she's thinking just by visual contact. Do you know what I mean? When you get, you get that relationship with someone, I can just look in her eyes and know that she's saying, you're preaching too long. Shut up, right? It's all I need. That's all I need because you have that maturity in that relationship. And so Paul writes to us about this. He says maturity is very important. It will come from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he talks to us about the importance of this. Now, now I kind of want to talk to you in two different ways today. The first is looking at this passage. I want to talk to you about why maturity, this subject, is so critically important. Let's go back to the text, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Here's what Paul says. This idea of maturity, building up the saints until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In those two verses, Paul says an awful lot about maturity. Let me give it to you in this way. Very quickly, three truths about maturity today. Three truths about maturity. And if you're going to grow in your faith, and, and truthfully, in your relationship with Jesus Christ then at its heart, the the goal is that you will become mature. We'll talk about why here as we wrap up today. But let's talk about three truths about maturity. Here's the first one. Number one, maturity is a process. Paul says it's our goal to attain this, that we move towards it. It's not something that happens overnight. It is a process. And it's an interesting process. Because it happens in two different ways. On the one hand, it happens because we make an intentional effort, that we make decisions, that we choose to live in a way that's going to help us to mature in our faith. That's, that's how a relationship works, right? So we talked about this last week. We're going to get to know Jesus better. We're going to spend time in His Word. We're going to have conversation with Him. And as we make Him the center of our lives, then maturity works in our lives. But it's also the work of the Holy Spirit, because no matter what we do, at some point it's God's Spirit that does the work in us, that produces the fruit of the Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. We, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's God's Spirit at work in us that brings maturity as we take steps in this process. It doesn't happen by accident. It has to happen very purposefully, and it's critical for us to see this. Paul talks to us about this in Philippians 3. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. So, so Paul tells us very clearly that we should be striving to attain, working through this process. It may mean walking through different seasons of life, but that we strive to be mature. Just this last year, I read a book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. It's a really great book on how to, how to care for and grow in your spiritual life and in your, in your soul. He writes this story. Let me read it to you today. John Ortberg writes, We were with friends at an open-air street fair when we spotted a mechanical bull that tries to buck people off. The guy operating the bull said, Watching it isn't nearly as fun as riding, so I told the bull operator that I wanted to try. He took one look at my middle-aged body and asked, Are you sure? That guaranteed that I would not back down. Ortberg goes on to say that he explained to me that the bull has 12 levels of difficulty. Now, it might not be easy, he said, but the key is you have to stay centered on the bull. You have to follow the bull. You have to shift your center of gravity as the bull moves. So I got on the bull and it started slow and then it started moving faster and jostling around. Orberg goes on to say, and I was holding on real tight. Then I remembered his advice, so I loosened up And it kept moving faster and jolting and bucking and jumping. And I was hanging on sideways. My arms were flailing all around, all over the place. I just hung on. And finally, the bull slowed down and it stopped. And I was still on the bull. It wasn't pretty, but I made it. I imagined how surprised the operator of the bull would be that I had triumphed. So I looked over at him and he looked over at me. And shaking his head, he smiled and said, Nice job. That was level one. life ever felt that way to you (laughs) maturity is a process and we go through seasons we go through challenges but through that time we commit to staying faithful to staying committed and to growing in maturity the first thing paul says it's something we strive to attain not that i have but i want to maturity is a process number two christ is the model of maturity Number two, Christ is the model of maturity. I think sometimes we get confused about what spiritual maturity looks like. Sometimes we think that if I know theology more, if I'm a smarter Christian, if I know or understand more about the Bible, then that means I'm mature. Or we might say, look, if I'm more, if I'm more close to perfect, <laughs> if I'm a nicer person... If I don't do some of the things I used to do, maybe that means that I'm mature. Or maybe, maybe I'm religious because I'm in church, and maybe I got like Christian t-shirts. I wear that WWJD band. That means that I'm becoming mature. There truthfully, if you look at Scripture, there's really only one criteria to gauge maturity or not. If I am not becoming more like Jesus, I am not maturing. Paul says that we attain to the fullness of the stature of Christ. I want to be more like him. Not just a specialist in one certain area, not just appearing spiritual to others, if i 'm not becoming more like Jesus, then i 'm not maturing. This happens quite often that somebody'll walk over to like a keyboard or a piano and they'll they 'll start to play a song right. You're like wow, that's that's really cool. That's really good. You know, you know how to play that song? I could wow you right now if I if I wanted to. I've got one song that I'm really good at. It's, a, it's an old hymn of the church. Do you know that old hymn of the church? I just called to say I love you by Stevie Wonder. Do you know that song? Do you know that? I mean, I can play it. I can sing it. I like Stevie. I don't even have to look. I can just play, right? You know, and um, but if you ask me to play something else, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna get it. I can't I can't do. I just I'm not a, I'm not a piano player. I'm not a keyboard player. But I know that. I know that one song. And I could impress you with that one thing, but I really don't don't have those skills. And some of us feel spiritual in one way. We act religious in a certain sense. We don't really have maturity in something. We just have a little bit of experience. So we think that maybe we're growing or we're maturing. Here's the only gauge, friends. If you want to find out, am I maturing? It's this, am I more like Jesus? The only gauge of spiritual maturity is that. And if I'm not becoming more like Jesus then I'm not maturing. And that's a question that we have to evaluate and ask ourselves. When somebody, um, when somebody bumps up against me in life and I don't like it, how do I respond? The words that I say, the focuses that I have, my priorities, the way I treat other people. When I read through the Gospels, am I becoming more like Jesus? If I am, then that's a good sign that spiritual maturity is taking place in my life. Let's go on. One more, one more truth about maturity. Look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there, by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So he makes a contrast here. In verse 13 he says we'll be mature like Jesus. And he says in verse 14, So we won't be like this. Now even though Scripture says that we're to have faith like children, we're not supposed to be childlike or, or immature in our faith. And so here's the third thing. Immaturity leads to instability. And this is critical for us to understand. Not only is maturity very beneficial in our lives, but immaturity is detrimental. It's damaging. It's destructive. Immaturity leads to instability. Paul says it this way. He says that we would no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, like we're in a little boat that goes back and forth. Or he uses his terminology where he says, and blown here and there. That has the idea of something that would make you dizzy or disoriented. In fact, if you look back in kind of Greek writings, that whole idea has to do... You, you ever seen them? You ever seen somebody spin a top? Or maybe you take like a coin. I got a little quarter here. You take a coin and then you just kind of... Not like that. But then you just kind of take it and you just kind of let it do its thing. You know what I mean there? And it kind of does that thing where it rotates and goes in the offering. Right there. It's gone. Okay. But do you know what I mean? And it does that. And then when it stops... What's the idea behind that? If you did that, you would be dizzy. You would be disoriented. You wouldn't know which way was up. You'd be all turned around. And that's exactly what Paul says about those who are immature. That in our faith, in our life, in our decisions, if we lack spiritual maturity, we find ourselves in a place where we're dizzy and disoriented. So let me tell it to you this way. Here's a couple of thoughts. Immaturity leads to instability, which means this, that immaturity makes the church weak. That's why it's so critical that you and I, as individuals who are part of the church, are body building, that we're doing what we can to build up the body of Christ, to build up ourselves, because when we don't, the church is weak. Someone was talking to me in between services, and they said um, something about working out and all this kind of thing, and I said, well, I don't, I don't really, I don't know that, I'm not that, I don't know a whole lot. And she looked at me, and she said, yeah, I can tell. And I was like, oh, she goes, yeah, I was really excited when you called this series bodybuilding, but I can tell that you don't really know anything you're talking about. I was like, oh, hey, praise God. Thanks to nice to see you too. Can I help you find another church? You know, is that kind of, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. is a joke. This is a joke. But here's, here's how that works. If we're not building ourselves up, it makes the whole church weak. Immaturity makes the church weak. And here's where that gets really tricky. The church is supposed to be storming the gates of hell and not stumbling into heaven, right? And for many of us, because we haven't built up ourselves, because we're not building up the church, that's what's happening. Now watch the positive side of this, though. If immaturity makes the church weak, then maturity works in a different way. And it works this way in my life. Maturity helps me discern the truth. Because just like there's culture that calls things fads in fashion trends or calls things fads in in the things that people say or what they do or music that they listen to. There are fads that come and go in the church. There are personalities that get popular for seasons. There are doctrines and thoughts and teachings that can seize people's attention and minds. And oftentimes, they might not actually line up with Scripture. And sometimes we let personality or or what's what's Paul call it ideas that tickle our ears we let that in a certain sense keep us from what is truth but when we're mature maturity helps us to discern what is true we should be like the Bereans that Paul writes about or that Luke writes about in Acts chapter 17 he says now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians for they received the message with great eagerness And examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. See, they weren't skeptical. They weren't bitter. They opened themselves up and said, yeah, we want to know what what you're teaching. We want to hear truth. But we're going to examine it to make sure that it's right. And that's what every mature believer should do. Don't don't just believe something because somebody tells you it's true. I don't want to burst your bubble, but not everything on the internet is true, right? You heard that? Not everything you hear will be true. So maturity says, how does that... How does that line up? Not only that, but catch what he says. He he also says maturity helps me detect the schemes. Because there will be schemes that come your way. And and just for the record, with schemes come schemers. Here's how Paul says it. He describes people who are cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, I I don't know why. Whether it's unintentional or whether it's intentional. Whether people mean to do harm or sometimes they're just naive. But there will be people who tell you things that aren't true, right? It happens in business. It happens in life. It happens when people try to sell you stuff. And it can happen in the church, In fact, people can take scripture out of context and apply it in one way that doesn't even line up with the whole counsel of the word of God. So that's why we have to be people who take things that we hear, that we use the word of God to be a filter to see if it's true, that we run it through that because there will be people who will just try to even use God's word to distort what is right and what is true. So maturity helps me to detect the schemes. Listen to what Jude said, Jude 1, 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So this is why maturity is so important. This is why one of our passions as a church is to help you become more mature. See, our our vision as a church is is very simple. It's life change. And we believe that when someone has a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, that their life is changed, that he changes you for eternity. And then it's up to us to do what we can to grow, to, to mature in that relationship. So Pastor Bill talked about this, this booklet today, The Life Change Guide. And I hope you'll grab one for sure when you, when you leave today, not just you can put it in your Bible or, or put it on your coffee table so you look cool when friends come over. I hope you'll take time and prayerfully look through here because we believe that maturity comes when we connect, grow, and serve together. If you're new to Calvary, you'll hear us say that a lot. We believe that life change happens when we connect, grow, and serve. And in this little book are, are ways that you can connect and ways that you can grow and ways that you can serve. And we want you to take advantage of those things. Why? So it will help you to be mature in your faith. And uh, any way that we can help to do that is something that we want to do. And this idea of maturity, remember this, comes out of relationship. And so we we could talk about this in so many different ways. But in the last few minutes that we have, can I I talk to you about it in this way? I want to give you three expressions of a mature relationship with Jesus. And there's more than this. And we can talk about it in a lot of different ways. But I, I just want to talk through three. If you are in a mature relationship with Jesus, or, and this is probably more for me and many of you, if you want your relationship with Jesus to mature, to grow, these are three things that I think are good gauges of whether you are maturing, and also things that you can do to mature in your relationship. So just like last week, we're going to talk about this in the context of, of a relationship that you may have with someone. And as we do, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts and then I want to give you a question at the end of each one to help you to gauge how do I live this out. Here's the first one, first expression of a mature relationship with Jesus, and it's this. Number one, give from the heart. If you're in a meaningful relationship with someone, then you're willing to give and share with that person in fact, if, if you're in a relationship with someone and there's a lot of selfishness there, there's probably a good gauge for you to ask how healthy is that relationship. It's a critical thing for you to consider that. If someone isn't practically giving of themselves to you, I challenge how much they really care about you. I've had friends in the past that when you have a conversation, you're like, hey man, how you doing? They're like, I'm, I'm good. How are you? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm good. Well, that's cool. Let me tell you everything about my life. And then I can't get another word out. Because that conversation is all about them, not me. I've known people who, like, you, you go out, you go out to lunch or something like that, and they're like, oh, you know, dude, I, I forgot my wallet, man. Yeah. You're like, this is the 20th lunch we've had where you forgot your wallet, man, Right? You didn't forget your wallet. You're taking advantage of me, ladies. I just I just want to encourage you. And maybe this is off topic for a minute, but if you if you are a single lady, you're looking for Mister Right, and you think you found Mister Right, but Mister Right with you is Mister Stingy. He's probably not Mister Right, right? <laughs> if you are in a meaningful relationship, you will give to the other person. Now let's talk about this spiritually for a moment. Everything that we have, everything that we own in life, everything that has our name on it that belongs to us, is it, is it our own or everything that we have comes from who? It comes from God. God's given it to us. That's clear in Scripture. So if it already belongs to him, why are we holding on to it as if, as if we're hoarders, Right? At some point, what we need to do is realize, God, everything you've given to us belongs to you. So we turn this over to you. Because God did not design you to just be some kind of depository that he can store stuff in. Here's here's the truth. You were made to be a channel. And everything that you have from him is designed so it can flow through you and be used by him to do other things. It's not some place that's supposed to just sit and be stagnant so you can hoard it and hold on to it. You were designed to be a channel and not a pool. Where there is stagnation, there is a lack of health. A channel flows. A pool sits and is stagnant. Whether it's a puddle, a pond, swimming pool, has got no filter and nasty green stuff in it. Whatever it is, right? You were designed to be a channel, not a pool, where there's stagnation, there's a lack of health. I remember, and this is years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, um, I was... Calvary's children's pastor at the time. And, and um, we went to a Royal Ranger camp out. Royal Rangers is the boys' uh, ministry, um, kind of small group club here. And uh, we went to this camp out and I took my little guy, Clayton, who was just a little guy at the time. And we went and I don't know where it was because we never went back there actually after this. And we were at this camp out and it had this pond that was there. And whatever the conditions were that year, it was, it was terrible because this pond was there and it sat and it was stagnant and it was filled with mosquitoes. And you're camping out and it's terrible. And you look up and you see like a, literally like, like a haze of mosquitoes. You could just see them and they would come and they're biting people and people are starting to swell up and there are mosquitoes the size of Volkswagens. I mean, this was nasty. And I just remember thinking, I just do not want to be here. This is unhealthy. I remember going home I had mosquito bites all over. The straw that broke the camel's back and we decided to leave was when one of those mosquitoes just kind of swooped down and picked Clayton up. And I'm like, okay, that's it. We're done. We're out of here. Why? Because that body of water was just sitting there. It was stagnant, and it was unhealthy, and it was nasty. Your heart can become the same way if you take the things that God has given to you and you hold on to them instead of being a channel for Him to use. What do you mean? Well, it's about your time. The time that God's given to you is a very valuable thing. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to take your time and spend it with Him so you can grow and mature? Are you going to maybe invest in some place, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, where you can make a difference? What if the Holy Spirit spoke to you about giving a little time to someone who might need some help or some encouragement? Would you do it? Or would you selfishly hoard your time? I mean, it's also true with your talents, right? God's given each one of us in some way or another skills and abilities that aren't just for us. The things that he wants to do through us, and that may be in the area of your business, it may be in the area of the church, it may be in the area of something you can do to bless somebody else. But what what are you willing to do with what you have? And this is this is interesting too. It's not just your time and your talents; it's also your treasures. So let's talk about your finances for a minute. And some of you just went, "I knew it was coming." They always talk about the money in the church. It's eventually going to get to money. And for some of you, when we talk about money, it's an awkward thing. Either because it's very personal or because you think the church is, is always out for money. Here's just the absolute truth. Scripture talks to us over and over and over again about our finances. So if we don't talk about it in church, we're not being true to the scriptures. If you look, Jesus repeatedly speaks to people about their wealth, about their finances. The Old Testament talks to us repeatedly about God's ways for us to deal with money. Let me give you just one passage. Malachi chapter 3 verse verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? This is God speaking here. So listen to what he says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation. Because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, a couple of thoughts about this passage. First is this. Oftentimes, people think that when we talk about money in the church, here's the reason why. Because the pastor is desperate for more money. Now, let me just encourage you. That's that's not my motivation today. Look, in the season of time that God has allowed me to, to be privileged to lead Calvary, here's, here's what we've seen. We've had years and seasons where money has been really tight, where we've had to stop um, doing some things, change some things, because the cash was tight. We've had other seasons where God has blessed us in an extraordinary way, where we were able to, to see new things happen. Here's what I know that in all those seasons, when money was tight and when times were, were in abundance, did God ever fail to provide what we needed? He always gave us what we needed to accomplish his purpose. He, he worked that out in our lives. So I'm not worried about that. Here's what I know. God will provide for his church. Now, I'm not saying the church doesn't need money because ministry doesn't happen without money, right? But here's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about this today because I'm begging you for money. I'm talking about this today because I'm begging you to be blessed. Because too many people don't realize that if you're really in a, in a loving, meaningful relationship with God, then you take the things that he's given to you and you're willing to share them with other people. And this has incredible consequences. What does he say here? He says that if you tithe, if you give, if you honor him in this way, he will bless you. If you don't, you will be, what's the word? Cursed. I didn't, I didn't say it, God did. That's a hard word. But God doesn't want you Cursed. Instead, what he says is, when you honor him, and he talks about the tithe here. The tithe is a concept in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with it, that says everything we have belongs to God. And in worship, we give him back 10%. And so we give that back. Scripture says that you, you do that to the storehouse. We believe the Bible teaches that's your local church, the place where you are, are fed and where you belong as a, as a believer. So, so if, 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 if a tithe is 10%, if you get $100, how much do you give back to God? You give him $10. If you get $200, you give him We could do this all day. You people are brilliant. That's awesome, right? Okay, so that's the the way this works. And so we give. But what he says is that when you do this, you will not be cursed, but you will be blessed. And God says, watch and see if I don't, and this is the Chad Gilligan version, blow your mind with what I do. I was really surprised this week when I read this news story. Maybe you saw it. I I was surprised for two reasons. One, it was like a really feel good news story. The other is that it was good news out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And you don't get that much, you know? And so um, um, there was a convention in Ann Arbor just in the last week or so of real estate executives. And there's a whole bunch of them in this ballroom at this hotel. And they call and order one pizza. So this dude walks in, not knowing what he's walking into. And they, they direct him to deliver this pizza. And when he walks in, he walks into the front door where all these people are, like hundreds of people. And they're all sitting there, and they clap and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, whoa. And the guy with the microphone says, come on over here. Come on over. Hey, this is great. He says, what's your name? You know, you're standing up there. All you want to do is deliver your pizza, right? There's all these people. It's this weird setting. You're up in front of all of them. They're like, what's your name? If it was me, I'd have been like, Marcos? I'm Papa John, something, right? It's like, my, my name's Rob. And he's like, Rob, this. I'm so glad you're here, man. We just want to thank you for what you do. And they start giving him stuff. One of the things that they gave him, and you can can watch the video if you if you if you search online for this, they passed around a cup to all these insurance executive or uh, real estate executives, and they all put cash in it for a good tip for Rob. They gave him a tip in this cup of two thousand eighty four dollars for delivering that pizza. He he, this is his exact quote: "All, "All I did was deliver a pizza, right?" That's what he says. It's like all I did. And so he's walking out, he's got his cup, people are cheering, he turns around and he says, he says, I sure hope that pizza's good, (laughs) right? Look, he's just doing his thing, he's just being faithful, and they they blew his mind with a blessing. Now, I'm not telling you, if you tithe, that the Sunday you write that check, drop it in the bucket, then Pastor Bill's going to be at your car with a cup with $2,000 in it going, hey, thanks, you're blessed, right? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying this. God says you won't be cursed. And he says he's going to bring a blessing on your life like you can't even imagine. I don't want you to miss this. It's critical. And here's why. It's not about the money. It's about your relationship with him. And what you do with what you have is an indicator of what really matters in your life. What you do with what you have is an indicator of what really matters in your life. So does God really matter? How much maturity is expressed in the way that you give of your time and your talent and your treasure? Here's the question. How will I give back to Jesus? Ask yourself this question of what he's given to me in this relationship. How will I give back to him? All right, a second thing. That's a, that's a good uh, expression of, of mature relationship in our lives. With Jesus, I went to college in Springfield, Missouri. I grew up in, in Warren, Ohio. Went to college in Springfield, Missouri. So I left my freshman year, and my high school sweetheart, who's now my wife Rhonda, was, was a senior in high school. So I, I, she, I'm i a freshman in college. She's a senior in high school. I went 12 hours away. And uh, so I'm, I'm gone, and whole new people, whole new life. And I had her picture in my dorm room. She just had her senior pictures taken before I left. And there was one in particular. It was just kind of this headshot, and her, turn was, her head was turned, and she's so pretty. And I just put it up in my room. So I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, you know that kind of thing, right? So one day this dude walks into my room. He lived down the hall. He comes in, and we were just starting to know each other. We're friends. He comes in, and he sits on the couch in my dorm room. He's like, "Uh, who's that?" I'm like, "That's that's my girlfriend." He's like, "No, really." I'm like, "Dude, that's that's my girlfriend." And he says, he looks at the picture, looks at me, looks at the picture, looks at me, and he goes what's she doing with you? You know, I had that picture in my room. I still, I still am bitter towards that guy. You can tell, kids. You You know, I had that picture in my room. Two things. One, I wanted people to know I had a girlfriend. And number two, she's awesome, right? That's it. Why? Because when you're in love, you want people to know. Second thing about maturity, you're going to tell all about it. You're not going to keep it to yourself. You're going to want people to know. So think of it in this way. When, when was the last time that someone you worked with could tell just by the way that you spoke that Jesus mattered to you? When was the last time you saw someone who was struggling to find hope and you spoke words of hope to them out of God's word? When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time that how you lived, people knew that you lived based on the values of God's timeless word and not the, the values of our meaningless culture? It's critical things for us to consider. Do other people see and know in your life, in the words that you say, can they tell you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that matters? Because mature relationships, well here's, here's just one thing to consider. Relationships go public, don't they? If you're in a mature relationship with someone, you're not hiding that. If a relationship is hidden, that usually means one of two things. Sometimes, and this is critical to understand, it's usually shame or inappropriateness that keeps a relationship secret for the long term, Right? It's usually either I'm ashamed to be in that relationship or it's an inappropriate relationship. Is there anything shameful about being in a relationship with Jesus? Is there anything inappropriate about being in a relationship with Jesus? Why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we telling people? Why aren't we sharing it? Here's here's what Paul wrote, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. We should be telling everybody we know about what Christ has done for us, but don't open your mouth until you grab this thought. Actions speak louder than words. So if the way you're living doesn't back up the things you're saying, please don't say anything. Here's, here's the truth. Sometimes the most damaging thing to the good news of the gospel in your life is the way you're living it. People can't hear about Jesus. Because they just don't see him in your life. Peter says this, first Peter chapter two, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So let me ask you this question, just just to Wrap that thought up. Who needs to know about my relationship with Jesus? Ask yourself that. In my family, in my neighborhood, the people I work with, is there somebody that God's put me in connection with who just needs to know about my relationship with Jesus? One last thought very quickly about spiritual maturity, and it's this, number three, you want to make a commitment. If you are in a a mature relationship with someone, you're going to make a commitment. Relationships are defined by their level of commitment. And if you're in a committed relationship, then you want to do the things that show your commitment and your trust. Relationships are defined by a level of commitment, and you're going to want to do the things that show your commitment and your trust. Let me, let me kind of break this down. Let me talk to you about some romantic relationships that, that maybe you found yourself in or that people talk about. This is, this is interesting to, to do, and then let's, let's parallel them to our relationship with Christ. First, let me talk to you about what I would call the notebook relationship. Here's how this works, and so you. And maybe it wasn't like this for you. Maybe your school was different, but there was a lot of this going on when I went to junior high. People would have these notebook relationships, and it'd start like this: you'd be sitting in study hall, right? And you'd look around, and you'd see that special someone, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I like them." And so then you would take this step of faith. You would write, and I'm just, I, you get out your notebook, you get out a piece of paper. And I, I didn't know Rhonda in junior high, but I'm gonna write her name at the top of this paper just so I can play it safe, okay? Are you ready? So I'm gonna write Rhonda, okay? And then you write these words. I don't even know what they mean, but it's what we would write back in seventh grade study hall at Chalker High School. We would write, will you go with me? I don't know what that means. Go Where? Go out, go steady, go down the hall, go away. I don't know, just will you go with me is what we wrote. Then to make it official, we would do this. We would make two boxes. Do you remember this? (laughs) Yes, you remember, right? You make two boxes, all right? First one, you write a big yes by, because what else is she gonna say to this, right? So one you write yes, and then real small next to the other one, you write no just in case she can't read. And then you write... You write your name on there, and you see it. This is it. This is what that notebook relationship starts out like. Then you take that thing, and as you tear it off, with each little tear, you say a prayer, right? You do that, and then you take it, and then you fold it up. You're praying while you're folding it. And then I'll just, I'm going to write Rhonda on here. I might even give this to her after service, see what happens. So, um... (laughs) Okay, you take this and then you hand it to your buddy sitting next to you in study hall and then it goes down and it gets to her and then she opens it up. First thing she does, because she already sees the boxes. She knows what's coming. She looks down and sees that name, Chad, and she's like, right? So excited. I knocked my microphone off. That's uh, that's what happened. Here's what happened to me. Seventh grade study hall. Man, I passed the note and I'm watching. She opens the note and I watch. her go, oh, that's why I only did it once. I'd like to tell you I don't remember her name but it cuts deep. <laughs> okay. Here's how this works. You're in a notebook relationship. Here's what it means. It means you walk down the hall and you're like, "Hi." <laughs> Hi. And you might like write more notes or like maybe I don't I don't know what it's like. I'm not in junior high now. Maybe you send text messages. I don't know how it works, but it's it's it doesn't mean a whole lot. You're just kind of going with that person, hi, it's like just kind of this casual, I belong with you, hi, relationship, okay? Then, but technology's taken us from notebook to Facebook, right? Now we go even more public, because we click a little thing on Facebook, and it says, I'm in a relationship with them. It's complicated, but I'm in a relationship with them, right? That's how that works. But all those things, I don't care whether it's your little notebook thing, your Facebook thing, they don't have any real commitment. You know where commitment starts? Commitment is when you stand in an altar with somebody, right? Right? when you say to that person, I love you, I give my life to you till death do us part. Commitment goes a whole lot deeper than notebook or Facebook. It's covenant. And you make a commitment to that person. And that's true about marriage. But oftentimes, whether it be at an altar or you raise a hand in a seat, or you pray one-on-one with somebody, or you kneel by your couch in a moment of commitment before God, and you say, God, I give you my life. There's a commitment that you make at that point. Here's here's the problem. Here's the challenge. For too many of us, the commitment level of our Christianity is just pathetic. And we say, "Um, Jesus, I I want you to forgive my sins. I'll do that heaven thing. And then um, how about I just show up at your house once a month? And that's it. And you're like, "Hey, that's that's my level of commitment." That's not commitment. That's that's pathetic. Jesus didn't just say, "Hey, let's be friends." He said, "Take up your cross." And that's that's maturity. And at some point we have to ask that question. I'm out of time. Let me give you just Four quick thoughts on this, just super quick. One is this, that you commit to your calling. What did Paul say to us? He said, do your very best. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We'll talk about that even more here as we go through this series. But grasp this. God's called you to serve Him and to follow Him. Commit to that. Don't just make that part way. Beyond that, commit to obedience. Obedience. Look, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you're going to do the things that you know show honor to that person and that please that person. And if you love Jesus Christ, then we're going to obey his words. In fact, it says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. That's about relationship. That's called commitment. And you commit to holiness. See, I live different because I'm in a relationship with my wife. That's why I wear this ring. That's why I make choices that I make about certain things. And we commit to holiness because we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me just boil it down to this, and this is where I hope you'll land, this is what everything else wraps up in this. Commit to be faithful. You don't have a notebook relationship with Jesus. You're not saying hi. You're not, you're not just going public because it's cool like Facebook. You have a covenant relationship with him. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and for heaven's sake, follow him. And I think the best way to express this is just to, you know, a couple times lately, I've had people come to me and, and they've said, you know, I, I love Jesus. But I just I just I don't I don't know I just don't feel it anymore. God God feels really distant from me and I, I don't know if he cares I don't I don't know and 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 I I used to like to read my Bible but I just I just it's just work I don't I don't want to read it anymore and I used to like going to church but I don't I don't know it's like I'm hungry at the end and so I, I just I just I, I don't know it's just not the same and I just feel like. I feel like my relationship with God just lost a lot of emotion and lost a lot of its energy and just lost, Here, here, look, every relationship is like that at some point, right? Now, Rhonda's unusual that she's had a honeymoon for 21 years. What a lucky woman, right? Relationships go through times, they change, they go through phases. The best way to describe it is that they go through seasons and everything's not always summer. Sometimes it's winter. In fact, we know that in Ohio, right? We know that when we build our houses in the summer, we prepare them so they'll withstand the winter. And our relationship with God goes through the same seasons. Not because he changes, but because life changes. Because we change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we go through these seasons where I don't feel it, or I don't want to, or I don't... Here's what it comes down to. You know what the true sign of maturity in anything is? It's faithful commitment. It's where you say, you know what, no matter what, I made that pledge... I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Maybe the best analogy is a is a um, it's an oak tree, right? Starts out with just that little acorn, and then it grows. And what started to grow in the summer has roots that go down, so it protects it and it preserves it in the winter. And it goes down deep. And it doesn't matter what season—winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is call. That tree's there, right? And it grows. Because it's rooted and it's grounded. Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17 say this, that we are to be like trees planted by the water. That's what maturity looks like. And you know where it comes from? It comes from at some point you recognize that immaturity will lead to instability. So as I give and as I share and as I commit, I'm gonna commit to make Jesus the center of my life. I don't say that because it's some kind of guilt trip. I say that because this, I want you to be blessed. And it comes... When you make a mature decision that no matter what season, you're going to follow Jesus. So would you do this? Would you stand with me this morning? And I just, I just want to take a quick moment. And I, and I want to encourage you, if God's speaking to your heart, whether you've, um, whether you've been in a long-term relationship with Jesus, or maybe this whole idea of serving him is new, just to say, God, I commit to be faithful to you. In fact, if that's you, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Just begin to tell him that just right where you are. God, I commit myself. Jesus, you are the center of my life. Nothing else matters. God, I give myself to you. Thank you, Lord. Sing this Jesus be the center of my life make it your prayer Jesus be the center of my- our prayer today God that you would be the center that we would realize that in the process of maturity you're working something out to help us be more like you God that as we give as we share as we commit we would do it knowing that in maturity and knowing you there's stability and there's life knowing that with that comes your blessing so now Lord as we go from here would you go with us Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday.